Hey, hello there. It's Chris Harwick from Painless Networking. No, 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 this is not a painless podcast, but uh, just hijacking my fellow Painless Podcast Network podcast, The Fadeaway. Steve Bardo will be joining Dion and Eric in just a few seconds. But while I have your attention, just wanted everybody to know that we've launched a brand new experience at www.painless.network. Check out the Painless Networking site. Get connected with fellow people in sports and event marketing, cause marketing, startups, events, sponsorships, media, properties, brands, teams, looking to get into the business, consulting, agencies, founders, entrepreneurs, all within this space. Get connected, share ideas, share jobs, share events, and get to know each other. That's the whole point. Get connected at painless.network. Thanks. And I'll turn it back over to the fadeaway with Dion and Eric. Thanks for joining us on The Fadeaway. I'm Eric Schmidt, along with Chicago Hoops legend Dion Thomas. Thanks for joining us. Guessing that you're a Hoops fan if you listen to our podcast, so you're very aware of the major scandals that have recently hit college basketball. Rick Pitino has essentially been let go at Louisville, and four additional assistant coaches were arrested by federal agents on corruption charges recently. Cover has been lifted a bit on the backroom dealings in college sports, guys. So today joining us is Dion's fellow Big Ten Network analyst and fellow Illini, Stephen Bardo. Stephen was on the 89 Flying Illini team at Illinois and remains close to college basketball, of course. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. My question to both of you, since you have been in the shoes and you're close to it, what does the recent investigation mean that the FBI has been working on? You know, it's interesting that um, the timing of all this taking place has happened now, uh, that it's right before the start of the college basketball season, um, and the scope and the, uh, the reach of it seems to have really put everybody on edge, so to speak, because we don't know how far the tentacles will end up reaching. And so, um, you know, it's, it's not a good look for college basketball. Uh, we know that it's been going on for years. It was going on when when I was in school, when Dion was in school. Uh, Illinois had a slush fund situation. Other schools have had their situation. No school has been unscathed, in my opinion, uh, for the most part throughout history uh, from this from these uh, type of situations. Yeah, and I, and I have to piggyback on with you, and I agree with you 100%, Steve. This is not new, um, Eric, and, and this is one of those things that's the, the ugly underbelly uh, when you start pouring in tons of money into basically anything. And that's, you know, once it, it, it went away from being about the kids and went away from being about raising boys into men into making this a business and, and you know, a multi-billion dollar business every year. And now coaches are starting to see that, hey, you know what, my job depends on whether we win, you know, not how many kids I graduate and what rate, you know, how high our APR is, is how many games you win. And anytime I think you put that type of pressure on people, and then you have the money that is dripping, dripping in there. You know, I shouldn't say dripping. It's almost like an open faucet of billions of dollars with TV contracts and <coughs> contracts and so forth and so on. You're going to have this this underbelly that that pokes his ugly head out and, and gets, you know, the light shined on it from time to time. Has it gotten worse? I mean, because it, it, you look at it now and if you look at it in, in it's it's a big deal in the state of Illinois because we, we know that we have budget issues. And we're no, we're like every other state as far as the two highest paid employees that are state employees are typically the state school yes. basketball and football coaches. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is right. exactly what leads to that type of pressure to perform and to succeed for a coach. Has it gotten worse as the salaries have gone up? I mean, uh, was it different 30 years ago? Was it a little less? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the going rate, according to the <laughs> FBI, is $100,000 for a five-star player, uh, uh, allegedly, that Louisville was dealing with. So, you know, that's a real long way back around to, uh, has it gotten worse? I don't know that it's necessarily gotten worse. I think it's probably gotten more sophisticated because so much is on the line and uh, so many more, uh, let's call them partners are involved now. So instead of the university being the state school, let's take University of Illinois, for example, instead of them having the only advantage because they are the state institution 
in a pure form of amateurism in which the NCAA started. Illinois would, in my opinion, around the state with top athletes naturally have an advantage being the state school. But with shoe companies that come into play in apparel and then TV contracts where all the schools now are on television. So you don't have to go to the Big Ten. You don't have to go to the SEC. You can go to the Missouri Valley. You can go to the um, the MAC and be on television. And I think that's the biggest difference. And, and I'd have to touch. I, I think a, a big portion of this, you asked if it's gotten worse. I agree with Stephen that it's gotten more sophisticated I think that it has always been there, but I think it's more prevalent now. And then, of course, because of the the TV deals and the shoe deals and all of these things that have come into play, and just think about it, when Steven and I were playing, there also wasn't an element of the AAU. I mean, you had the high uh, school. Good point. Yeah, the good high point. school coaches were really controlling what yes. was going on with kids. Like I can mention Bob Hambrick. You were not leaving the state of Illinois to go to any other school. It, it didn't matter because he had a pride in sending kids in state to the schools and keeping you close to home, one for your parents can come see you, so forth and so on. But when the AAU came in after me and, and definitely after Steve, who, you know, now you have other players that are involved. And, and the high mm-hmm. school, and you know, having coached eight years, the power doesn't lie now with the high school coaches. It lies, it lies with the AAU coaches. So now you have another layer that has been taken away, and the parents mm-hmm. don't know. So if you're a parent from the ghetto, you know, or from some, or from a rural area where you don't have the means, now there's another guy that's saying, "Hey, you know what? I can help you get this in order to get your kid there." And I think that's a lot of what has gotten this situation where it is. You know, as they said, they're investigating Adidas for being in contact with these kids and being in contact with this uh, uh, AAU programs. And now you have them, dry, you know, pulling in the EYBL, which is Nike, basically. So now you have all of them getting drug in, and this is really because of the AAU programs. And so now this is all translating and moving up the line to the high school, co- I mean, to the college coaches and so forth and so on. And there is a, a huge problem right there when the parents don't have control and when their high school coaches don't have somewhat of control, because then you bring in the street agents and you're bringing in all of these other people that do not have the best interests of these kids at heart, but they have their best interests. And what they are trying to get is, you know, some type of monetary gain or even some jobs and some, you know, jobs in some cases. Yeah, we talked about the, the college coaches and, and their salaries, but all this has done is add an extra layer of people that have their hands up, basically. And I can attest yes. as somebody that covers prep sports that, the high school season is becoming less and less meaningful. I mean, you can look at uh, some of the players that they're getting the offers based on what they do in the summer and what they do for their high school team often is entirely contrary to what they do. Like Zion Griffin from Hinsdale uh, South got his all of his offers this summer because he was able to step away and show that he had some range. In high school, he's the biggest guy. He plays the post. He really doesn't step outside at 12, and so nobody ever saw that ability out of him. But again, it's another group of people that are looking for something and let's be clear that you know other than the patino situation that's been the highest profile thing the guys that they've gone after so far haven't been guys necessarily to steer a player to the school it's been what they're doing after school (coughs) steer them to the to the shoe companies and things like that well i mean that that steering to the shoe company starts with the aau programs because they're the ones that are first getting their hands on these kids and they're saying okay here we go if we can get this kid now we can give him X amount of dollars and we'll sell him to a school that's an Adidas school, which is what happened with uh, Louisville. Mm-hmm. You know, they steered him to an Adidas school and now here we go and you're moving fast forward. And I'm sure it's happened. I know Roy Williams came out the other day and said they've never been involved in anything like that. And maybe they haven't. I don't know. You know, I'm not the investigator. But what I do know is when you're at the top of the ladder, you're going to want to stay at the top of the ladder. And I don't know. And Steve, you can, you know, comment on this if that still carries the same weight of, yeah, I'm Duke, I'm coming to get you, or I'm North Carolina and I'm coming to get you, because like you said, everyone's on television now. I, I, I still think that uh, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, uh, now with the resurgence of UCLA somewhat, uh, Arizona as a Western power, 
um, those schools still hold an advantage, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a certain allure, there's a certain excitement, and you got to remember is is I guess his experience, as I would say, is these high school players are they're nationally ranked because they've they've traveled now, they've been they've been away from home, they've had to live in hotels, they've had to travel, they've had to be in front of cameras because it's a cottage industry now. The the high school basketball scene is a whole cottage industry in and of itself. So they have experience, but nothing can temper a wannabe cool teenager when he walks into Cameron Indoor Stadium and it's rocking, or he goes, uh, you know, to the house that Dean Smith built, or he goes and here's the Rock Chalk Jayhawk at the end of the game. Those are unbelievable memories that very few schools can replicate. So I still think that they have a little bit of advantage uh, when it comes to recruiting. No, and I would agree with you on that. When I when I said that is because those five schools that you mentioned, they're they're all competing. Let's throw a Kentucky in there as well. But yeah, I forgot they're, about Kentucky. Yeah, they're all competing against each other for about twenty athletes. You know, mm. the, those five, they're all you know the the highest of the high. So now, how does that work out? I mean, because now you're competing against your own. It's not like say Illinois. Illinois is reaching for three and maybe four star guys. They're not reaching for five-star guys because right now at this point in time, they won't be able to get them. But you got those five-star guys competing against those five-star guys, those universities, those bigger universities, only competing for a small pool of people. And that leads you to doing what Patino did. You know, he understood, okay, well, we need five-star guys. Well, that's and that's a thing, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I consider Louisville one of those blue blood programs, especially with the success they've had the past several years. So, I mean, you can see – you know, Stephen, they, they do have to start competing against each other. So what sets each of those schools apart other than the experience of watching and can't, walking into Cameron or, you know, the Rock Talk Jayhawk? They, those are the same guys that they're all going for. Yeah. Uh, you know, another question, why the FBI, not the NCAA? After all of these years, the NCAA has never really done a whole lot. And all of a sudden, this is broken, and it's the FBI that's done it. It's not the NCAA. And it's almost like the NCAA is sitting in the back trying to figure out what's going to happen. Here's the thing. The NCAA, uh, in my surroundings, because I've gotten to know uh, Jeremy McCool, who is a guy that talks a lot. He, he works with the NCAA. He goes around and talks about eligibility quite a bit. He does a fantastic job. He's brought me into the NCAA uh, and to do some events and speak and things of that nature. And from what I can see, guys – NCAA doesn't have the resources or they don't put the money that they make from the Final Four or whatever into enforcement. Because why would you enforce something that's bringing you that much money? Strongly enforce. And I think that uh, that may have something to do with it right there. There's kind of a a conflict of interest, if you will, in my opinion. And so... um, when you look at what the NCAA is doing, they're a little handcuffed in trying to police, uh, you know, all these major schools plus mid, so-called mid-majors. You have to police everybody. And it, it's a difficult task where it appears this guy fell into the FBI's lap because they had a financial advisor who got in trouble. I guess he's going to do time. And they said, do you have anything you can offer? He said, how about college basketball? And that's how it happened. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of fell into their lap and, you know, that's that's one of the more aggressive uh, FBI districts in the in the country. That southern New York uh, FBI district is very aggressive. And so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. No, I, I, it is definitely going to be up in the air. And I agree that I, I think when you're trying to, as you you mentioned, Steve, police something that pays your bills, you know, and keeps you afloat, whether it's basketball or football, and then that keeps those uni- keeps all of the universities afloat because, yeah, I mean, we would all like to say, you know, universities are institutions of higher learning, but we know how they get there. They get there off the back of the athletes on the football and the basketball teams that bring in money because I don't think the, the you know, science department is bringing in millions and millions of dollars a year, you know, and nothing against the science department, of course. But how do you, you know, okay, am I going to really police this this tight when it's something that's feeding me and feeding my family and taking care of everyone else? So Steve also nailed it right on the head. You're trying to police the all of the universe, the Division One, Division Two, as well right. as Division Three programs in the nation. 
and you don't you just don't have enough personnel to be able to do that. So you you rely on institutions to self-report. You know, and, and don't think that and don't think that there isn't negotiations going on in Division Two and Division Three because there are certain programs who are on the same level. Like Dion says, there's a small pool of players that they can go after that fit their profile. Yes. And you know, whatever it might be, it could be something material. It could be, I don't know. I, I'm not at that level, but I'm saying that negotiations happen at all levels and the NCAA is expected to police all of that. And I think that's unrealistic. And so that may be why one of the reasons why the FBI is involved now. What what kind of repercussions do you guys think are going to happen for the NCAA after this is, you know, it continues and not necessarily the end of it, but again, lifting the veil. And Stephen, you made a great point that why would you investigate something that would cost you money if you found something wrong with it? Uh, what what will the NCAA have to deal with as this continues, in your opinion? What do you guys think? Well, I, I don't to be honest, I don't think there will be a whole lot that comes from it. I think there'll be some changes Maybe a few changes in the, the – the, the, I heard that they're talking about maybe doing some things as far as amateurism. I still don't think that would, would totally take the money out because now you you can't make it even it's, – it's, it'll be very difficult to make it even across the board. I mean, a kid that's playing, let's say, at UIC, for example, that has a cost of living in the city of Chicago is not going to be the same as a kid that's playing at Nebraska. So how do you even this out? Even now, they're both Division One schools. One's a high major, one's a so-called mid-major. How do you even out the monies that you give to those Are you talking kids? stipends? Yes. Okay. So that would be – that that's going to be an issue. And then, again, you have a kid that's coming from rural Mississippi that jumps out the gym at 6'10", 240, and somebody comes and tell him, okay, you know what, I, you come here, I'll take care of you guys, and you and your mom are living in a shack. What are you going to do? What do you expect that kid to do? So mm -hmm. what the NCAA will probably do is, again, there'll be some changes. Some universities <coughs> will get smacked around. You know, I heard they're throwing around the death penalty for Louisville. Which, so, by the way, has not happened since SMU football back in the 80s. Exactly. So, you know, you'll get some violations. Some people will lose their jobs. But in my opinion, in the overall scheme of things, it's not really going to change that much. Yeah, I, I, I can't disagree with you because – I don't know if you guys remember, but Baylor had a, a player killed. Yes. And the coach tried to make the guy out to be a drug dealer to cover themselves. And they didn't get the death penalty for that. Right. So, you know, we have to we have to be students of the game and his, historical uh, <clears throat> in, in our recollection because we have to check people sometimes when we get in these conversations about that. Because, I, Dion, I think you hit it right on the head. I don't think it's going to change much at all. I would, you know, people say, well, what, what could be a remedy? I say pay them minimum wage. Mm -hmm. well, pay I, them, pay, across the board, pay them minimum wage so at least they have something in their pocket. That was going to be my next question is how do we solve it? And I know you guys, even before this, have given thought to this, being in those shoes and, and now being in behind the scenes and seeing how things go. What, what are some solutions? You know, I, here's my thing. I, I think there could be a baseline wage. It may not even be minimum wage, but there could be a baseline wage or a stipend that all revenue generating athletes receive while they're in college and have their eligibility. For the ones that are stars, that have more attraction, <clears throat> that have built their social media platforms up, that can bring them money, allow them to market their services. Because what is a better way to teach capitalism, marketing, PR, and brand building than letting these young people who are building their brands with their own creativity, with their own sweat equity through their through their talent, why not allow them to take part in that? I, I that that just seems so simple to me. I, I think that's a great idea. For example, it takes me back and I think about when Terrell Pryor sold his jersey. Well, gave his traded his jersey for a tattoo, and they tried to you know they wanted to vi give him violation to violate Ohio State for that. I mean, but. These are his things. And you're right, Steve. Why can't kids benefit off of what they have already earned? Well, the fundamental flaw is that higher learning and colleges and NCAA consider all of these players on an exact level playing field. And the truth of the matter is they're not, whether it's a Big Ten school or an SE school or going down to D Division Two, whether yep. you're the star quarterback that your jersey's in the bookstore and it sells a ton <laughs> of them, or you're the guy that's the 90th scholarship on the football team that never sees a game. There, there are levels – 
and yeah, I mean, Stephen, it, that's part of it is how do we figure that out? And how I love the idea because what there's nothing that precludes any student on campus if they're not getting one of those scholarships to do what you just said to to right. sell a blog, to do a podcast, to right. to do any of that type of stuff. If they have the social media following, whether it's because they're an athlete or something else. If you're not an athlete, you can do whatever you want. Capitalism is great, and if you're an athlete, uh, no, sorry, there's none of that because because you, you can't do it because the 90th guy on the team wouldn't have the opportunity to do it because he's not going to get that following. And that's right. a, and that's a huge problem. Okay, because let, let's just quite be honest about it. The kids that are the kids that are normally the top players on a team are the ones that are from the bleakest of economic situations. Normally, the one that walks on that's the 90th guy. His family is normally pretty much okay, you know. So it's not just about that kid. And you're right. Capitalism would not just help this kid. It helps his family, you know. Mm. And for him to be able to benefit off of himself by by doing what any other student can do at the university other than athletes is I don't I don't see why that's a major issue, except for the fact that the NC the NCAA understands. And I was watching Bill Maher one night. And at the beginning of the NCAA playoffs last year, Bill Maher made a statement. He says, oh, well, I guess we're back to slavery. And so the people on the panel, you, I mean, you should have seen them. They were all looking like in shock. He was like, you name one other institution where money is made off the backs of young black people. And that's what the NCAA does. I mean, Football, basketball, these kids are, they say, the, the, the thing is, well, they're getting their education paid for. First of all, let's be honest, the majority of them are there to try to move on to the next level to make money in the professional ranks. If they are getting their, their degree, and I, and I have been an educator now and a coach before, I have advocated for all those kids to use the university the same way it does them, by getting their degree when they walk away from that school. The same way my grandmother did with me. I mean, my junior year, I had people coming after me saying, you should go to the draft. You should go to the draft. I went to my grandmother. I said, Granny, they say I got a really good chance of going in the first round of the draft. She said, do you have your degree yet? I said, no. She said, then you're not going nowhere. (laughs) I said, said, okay. I said, okay. But I think that's where we are because these kids are there to try to get to the next level. And to be honest, having been on this level at the Division One, I, I don't think there's enough coaches pushing kids to get their degree. I think that's the hypocrisy of this whole thing is that they're not pushing kids to get their degree. They don't mind if kids are missing classes. They don't mind if kids are bringing in C's and, and D's and, instead of pushing them to get the A's and things that they, that they should be trying to strive for. So if they can't get those things, if, you, if you're not there for that, and the NCAA or the universities are making tons of money, then what is it? That's exactly what it is. It's a, a form of modern-day slavery. And if you are getting your degree, let's say, uh, what's it, the tuition at Northwestern right now, about $60,000? Oh, if not more. Okay. So uh, <laughs> you know, your kid, this team, is bringing in, say, a billion dollars from their TV contract. Am I... Uh, my degree costs $240,000. I still don't see that as equal. <laughs> yeah, and, and not to mention a state school that's significantly less expensive, exactly. but the same money being thrown around. So the margins yeah. are better. But I, here's, I'm, I'm going to have a little bit of rebuttal on you on this, uh, Dion, because it, I, I hear that often people throw in that term around, well, it's like modern-day slavery or whatever, but in slavery, we couldn't read. We weren't allowed to read, and mm-hmm. and this is a this is an opportunity for young people to take advantage of, and you can grow in many different ways um, through a college uh, experience. I don't I, agree. I don't I don't down talk it at all because my dad was in as you know education for yes. fifty five years and has a hall of fame career, and it's meant the world to my family what it's opened doors for. But I do understand what you're saying from the perspective of not getting compensated commensurate for the work that you're putting in for the outcome of the total product. I get that. Uh, but I do I do want us to be cautious that we don't forget that we, you, all of us have come through that system mm-hmm. and have benefited as a result from being in that system and on those platforms. And so I think that that's where the NCAA and some of those schools are really staunch and stingy about holding their ground 
why they don't want to change things because why would you? I mean, uh, the Adidas contract with, uh, no, the Under Armour contract with UCLA is $230 million. Yep. I mean, from one contract. So, you know, they, they we, have to, we have to keep that in mind. So there, there's a lot of benefit that student athletes get from that experience. It may not be what it can be, but I, I don't want to lose sight of that. That's all I'm saying. Oh, no, I agree with you 100%. And that's why I say well, as, as a coach, when, whether I was at the junior college level or I was at UIC, my favorite mm-hmm. thing I would always tell these kids, I was like, I don't care if you bounce a basketball <laughs> another day in your life. What's most important is that when you walk out of this institution, whether it's Lewis and Clark or when I was at UIC, is that you have your degree in hand. Because that well, way, you might be one of the rare ones, bro. Well, that's, uh, that's what he was saying is that, that there's not enough coaches that are out there saying that. Like, Stephen, right. you were pushed at home. Yeah. You had parents that said, this is what you're going to do and this is your, yes. your accountability. Coach Henson probably, you know, we've heard some stories that he, he was a father figure to a lot of players. And, and we won't say that they weren't trying to get you guys through. I think that you had a, a, a good experience at U of I mm-hmm. from what I've heard. Obviously, I haven't been through it. But um, – some of the other coaches, like, they just don't care. Like, There's again, we talked, we talked about North Carolina. What yeah. about the North Carolina issue in 2005 with the kids not going to class? Yeah, and, and that's the only thing I was saying. Steve, you and I are on the same page 100%. Yeah. But that's, that's <clears throat> my problem is it's, it's become about winning so much that we've lost focus on what it's truly about. And, and it's truly about taking boys when they come in there at 17 and 18 years old and making them men by the time they leave. And, again, you could be the best coach in the world at getting kids to graduate, to be respectful, to learn, to to do the things that they're supposed to do, to be good, you know, behave well on campus and not get in issues with the police, but you better not come in there with three seasons where you've won two basketball games. If you do, you're in trouble. And and that's where, you know, because kids are going to miss class. You know, I'm sitting in a meeting one time with the, the coaching staff at UIC, and we're talking, and they say, well, Dion, you know, this kid missed class this day, this kid missed class. I'm like, okay, then we make them run. You know, there has to be some type of punishment to them missing class. There's too many times that kids don't have that, you know, that, you know Bob Hamburg had a paddle or, or had, you know, that, <laughs> that one thing that makes you say, hey, this is what you need to do because kids are going to be kids. There's no, no repercussions. For right. It. There's no repercussions. Kids are going to be kids. They're going to miss class. They're going to, you know, have, you know, well, we own a podcast, so I can say it. They're going <laughs> to half-ass when it has to do this paper. They're going to do, because they're kids. And so what coaches need to do and what we're supposed to do is to educate those kids on, on hey, you need to do this and this and this and this and this. And that's that's where I say it's just I don't know if that's a priority anymore since all of this money has been thrown into the game and it's become about winning. It's become about what you're wearing. It's become about who's, you know, who has the best gear, who has the best stadium. I mean, just think about the arms race when it comes to recruiting. Everybody's always upgrading everything that they do, their gyms, their practice facilities, their clothes. And that's what it's become about more so than teaching and educating and growing young men and women. All right, I want to ask this question. You guys don't have to name names. What's the, what's the worst thing you've heard about from from some of these these stories or some of the schools? And again, don't name names, don't name schools, but what are some of the more outlandish stories that maybe some of our listeners would be fascinated to know about? Putting you both on the spot here. Oh, wow. I mean, there's 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 so many. I mean, but because this isn't something that's new. I mean, mm-hmm. whether you're looking at football or you're or you're looking at basketball, I mean, this this has been going on for, you know, decades. And since sports has been, you know, since it started to grow, I just watched a, a out of the 30 for 30, I believe it was on Marcus Dupree. Mm-hmm. You know, it just best there never was. Oh early. man, yes, and yeah. all of what he was getting and this and this, and as soon as the kid couldn't do what he was doing before, they felt that he couldn't. They just pushed him to the side, and he mm-hmm. was done. I mean, and I, you know, those those stories don't get told enough, but I think they're far more prevalent than than people think they are. I'm gonna go uh, back in my era so that I don't people can't <laughs> maybe not pick up as quickly who I'm talking about because I tend to be a little descriptive uh, when I tell stories. <laughs> uh, I think that's why I'm pretty good at it. But um, 
there's a young man out in the uh, Rocky Mountain region who um, was an outstanding guard. And um, he unfortunately got hurt uh, right before he was supposed to go to college, uh, a really devastating injury. But he was, uh, at the time, the median house uh, price, and I guess in that region of the, of the country, was $250,000. So he was creme de la creme as the top 20, as Dion talked about, that upper uh, su supreme tier. And, uh, and yeah, there was $250,000 um, that he could put down for a median house uh, note uh, or uh, medium house purchase. Boy, there's, there's been depreciation, 100000 for for Louisville now. Gee. There's definitely been depreciation. <laughs> when I was living in Florida, um, th there were three top kids at the time in Florida. And everyone knew, because I was coaching high school at that time, and everyone knew at the high school that, it, just like Steve said, this kid got $250,000 to uh, attend one of the state schools. His dad would go around and talk about it. They, you know, it wasn't secret. You know, I guess that's SEC country, but, but that's the thing. It's like people <laughs> it talk. It's just, that's what there. shocks me that it's taken so long for anything yeah. to actually any action on it. Is that nobody can keep a secret. Everybody talks. But see, that's the thing. Everyone knows that there's you know bag drops in college sports. The only reason this came out at this time is because this guy got busted doing some other stuff, so he dropped a dime on college yeah. basketball. And, yeah, yeah. You know, who's to say that this thing and who, like you said, Steve, you mentioned the tentacles reaching. Who's to say that they're not going to reach over into college football? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I mean I, more, I'm, more I'm athletes. Sure too. They're looking at it now. Yeah. I mean, so th this thing is going to be interesting over the next few years, but. I don't know. I, I, we've talked enough yeah. about this. Yeah, well, Let's I want to ask. About. I want to before we get to Elias. I do want to ask you guys because because this is another topic. I, I'm I, I can't. It's like a car crash. I can't get away from. But it, it's the Levar Bell stuff. Oh my god! I'm sorry. I'm opening another can <laughs> of worms. But I just loved. I mean, hoops and and you guys are both parents now. I mean, what is going on? Is the latest with him uh, pulling Lamelo out of high school to you know because his coach wasn't good enough for him? And I mean what. <laughs> What do I'll we tell do you with these people? I'll, I'll tell you this. We, I mentioned parents being involved. So they're, they're, I, have, I, I feel, for me, this is kind of a, a plus and a minus at the same time. I, I love the fact that he's not allowing anyone to take advantage of his children. He wants his children to benefit off of their talent, you know, and, and, and he's – you know, they wanted to sign his son, so he got scholarships for his two youngest sons that are nowhere near as good as his oldest son. But they're both. Not if you ask him. No, they're not. <laughs> uh, yeah, he can say what he wants, but they're okay. not. But they, you know, but they have scholarships going to one of the top academic as well as athletic universities in the country. So, I, I, that part being said, that that's I love the way he protects and takes. But my God, man, I, I, I can't imagine the things that, that he the things he says and the things that he does and the actions and how he does it to me, I think, takes away from his kids. But it also keeps him in, uh, in the limelight. So that thing's kind of a double edged sword, man. Yeah, he he's not. Um, I get him, I think, a lot more than a lot of people do um, because he's a strong father. And we're often critical of black males and not being strong fathers. That's, the, that's a, 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 a message that's thrown out there quite a bit. And he's no different from John Elway's father or, uh, you know, or the Eli and, and yeah. Peyton Manning's father. They did the same thing. Uh, maybe not as outwardly. Um, as boisterous. Uh, and I, yeah, that's... boisterous and, and braggadocious. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he's. He's trying to he's trying to create a family brand. He's trying to take have them take part in their uh, work and their ability to gain employment um, through the work and the brand that they are building. And yeah, does he go about it maybe in an uncomfortable manner for me? A lot of times, yes. But I see through <laughs> that, and I see a father that cares just as much about his kids yeah. as John Elway's father did and Peyton Manning's father did. So, so you, you're sitting on that same double-edged sword like I am. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, I, you know, he's 
they're in Southern California, which a lot of people don't realize is like the 12th largest economy in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Southern California in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And they're, that family, they're mega stars out there. Yeah. So if they don't, he got to the Lakers? Are you kidding me? It all, it's all kind of setting up the way LeVar Ball is. It looks like he's trying to set it up. I mean, the young kid, his brother's going to UCLA. He's going to follow Lonzo to U, uh, that was at UCLA, who gave the, the program a resurgence. So all the Bruins fans are happy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like they've got they've got Cali and a little bit of West Coast pretty well positioned to do whatever they want to do as long as Lonzo and the youngest one play. The, the, the middle kid looks like a, a linebacker. He can't really play. But the youngest one can play, LaMelo. or LaMelo. LaMelo. LaMelo, he can play. And so if you've got two sons, one that's balling at the Lakers and another one that goes to UCLA, and if he's good enough to go pro and he's in another market, say Dallas, Atlanta, Chicago, New York, Miami, Boston, I mean, come on, man. That thing could get big. And so now he'll be the one laughing when everybody's laughing at him right now. Did you buy the shoes, though? Very good point. Man, ooh, <laughs> man, please. <laughs> <laughs> See, we've no. bounced that ball before. There ain't no way on God's yeah, green yeah. earth. <laughs> All right, we can, no. enough about that. We need to talk some Illini stuff now. <laughs> Not that you need my permission, but <laughs> no, actually, uh, yeah, we can talk some line some, some point Steve. guard vision. We got to talk some point. Definitely got to talk some point guard vision, Steve. I, as you know, you've seen me watch you a few times as you've done your live feed. I enjoy it. I, I've definitely watched you on the Big Ten, and as you know, I've called you multiple times to get advice on how to move forward uh, in this business, and I appreciate you because you've been like a big brother to me. Since since I stepped on the U of I campus. Um, well, you're welcome, man. You know that. That goes without saying. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I actually, I said that same thing to, to Kendall. And we won't go into the whole party at Kendall's house when you guys pranked me the first time. But that's okay. Wait, you know, wait, wait, wait. A lot now of that you brought that up, <laughs> this is a podcast. We can uh, share anything. No, no that one will be, that that be shared. Right. <laughs> All right. Gosh, I thought we'd be getting great stories today. All right. Not fine. But uh, for those that don't know, uh, and I'm sure we have a lot of the same uh, listeners, because your point guard vision, and I love what you're doing because it's not just – about sports, you're doing a lot of things to help kids as well. Can you know? Just tell us. Uh, I ain't gonna say a little bit. You tell us as much as you want about point guard vision. Point guard vision was something that I came up with that um, I kind of got a little bit of it, the inspiration from from Walter Bond. Uh, the listeners may remember Walter Bond, Chicago, Chicago Collins, boy. and Whitney Young High School. Played at Minnesota. Played in the NBA with uh, Dallas. Utah and Detroit is now a Hall of Fame motivational speaker mm -hmm. that commands $20,000 per 45 minutes, uh, <laughs> who moved from Minneapolis down to West Palm, Florida. So just to give you some background on who gave me the inspiration for it. Um, basketball is a metaphor for life. Anything in life has a basketball equivalent and a basketball terminology. And for me, what On Point Leadership does is my nonprofit we go and work with um, young basketball players to get them to understand the, the lessons that they're learning in basketball, the ability to uh, look up the floor and hit somebody on stride with a beautiful pass, the ability to see your teammate uh, grab his shorts or grab his knees and you know that they're tired, the ability to see your coach, his body mannerisms, you can't hear him because the crowd is yelling, but you can kind of understand what he's saying. That's vision. And that's something that a lot of people outside of sports don't get a chance to exercise in a very compressed, uh, pressurized situation where you have to make split second decisions. A lot of people don't have that ability. Basketball players have it in abundance. And no, usually basketball players aren't taught how to utilize those skills that they've learned to transition them outside of the court. And that's what I do with uh, Point Guard Vision. It's a curriculum uh, through my nonprofit, On Point Leadership. You know, I, I love uh, I love that, man. And it takes me back, and you you guys will probably remember this. Remember the shirts? He used to make T-shirts. I think it was and one. that used mm -hmm. to have the basketball shirt. It would say, basketball is life, was, was, yep. the, actual, was the shirt. 
and, and I agree with you 100% that, you know, and my high school coaches say the same thing, that sports, and specifically our sport, is definitely a reflection of life. Mm-hmm. And he used to tell us all the time, he was like, you know, if you, if you half-ass right here on the basketball court, you will half-ass in everywhere. every other aspect <laughs> of right. your life. And I'm That's telling right. you, I use that in my house, and it has followed me throughout my life as a coach and as a player, saying, telling kids that exact same thing. So I agree with you 100%. You know, it's, it's like looking in the mirror. Well, I think basketball, too, reveals character, right? I mean, uh, President Obama used to talk about that a lot. He used to like to get people out on the court because that would reveal your character. You know, if you were a passer, if you were passive, uh, it, it was you, you couldn't hide in that with with ten guys on the court and five guys on your team. There was no hiding in what your your true personality was, especially when you're making quick quick decisions. Do you know where Barack Obama got that from? Is the neighborhood here in Chicago that I live in, Hyde mm-hmm. Park, uh, where John Rogers, Arnie Duncan, Barack Obama, Craig Robinson, uh, Ian Mahoney, these uh, uh, guys that are that have been born and raised here have gone on to do tremendous things they all play basketball and arnie duncan who i'm very close with always said he'd like to play basketball with people he was trying to hire because in the first three minutes of a basketball game even three on three not even full court on three on three you notice people if they hesitate if they're decisive if they talk if they communicate if there's a pick uh, if they share the basketball, as Dion said, if they're a ball hog, if they don't, if their ball goes out of bounds and rolls out of bounds and they let somebody else go get it instead of them going to get it, that's an indication of uh, direction. All kinds of things that Arnie shared with me and why John Rogers and he still play three on three basketball to this day because it's an indication of who they're around. And so some of the most successful people in the country utilize basketball in this way why isn't everyone else doing it it's like you said most people don't know i don't think there's any other sport like that either i mean any other sport i've played i I don't think anything reveals character quite the same way like i think for all the reasons you just said about just the simplicity of uh balls out you know am i going to go chase it or am i just going to wait for that guy that's over there to go get it am i going to wait for the official to go get it if you're playing in a real game or am i going to go hustle my ass and go get it yeah yeah and are you a hothead and you just (laughs) pop off at the smallest things Uh i agree 100 percent because that's one of the things like when i would when i would go recruit you know and you're out and you're watching a kid and you're watching how they respond on the basketball court to adversity to their teammates how is their demeanor when they come over to the bench i mean it's great that they pointed that out because you know it's really a lot of the same things that you're looking for to see if you want to add this person to your team so that's right and that's exactly what they are doing okay do i want to bring this person into my company will he be a a benefit or will he be a liability or she you know Mm -hmm. and so you you're right i mean i I never thought about it to that extent uh, that those guys did so no great i love it so how does steven react when dion drops a dime right that's how the reactions go right steven was dropping dimes i wasn't dropping too many never never happened um so what else, Stephen? What else are you trying to teach teach these kids as you go through this? I mean, is there you've got the specific some lessons, some of the, the curriculum? You know, I I really uh, Eric trying to get these young people who have very limited exposure to entrepreneurship and financial literacy to be a part of the program. It is a leadership program, but it's a self development program, and self development in and of itself is an area that that a lot of basketball players think they're exposed to, but they're not because self-development, in my opinion, is not the self-development on the court. It's you um, sharpening sharpening your own saw. You are trying to get your own saw skills better, your ability to communicate with people, your ability to negotiate, your ability to take a Myers-Briggs test, which is free online, that will give you an indication of your personality and skill sets, what career fields match who you are. So you take that and you give that to some high school basketball players that one, have never heard of the Myers-Briggs test, two, are fascinated to see what the results are because they've never had a tool like this. You take that information, you ask them now with what you know 
and with what you envision moving forward, write me out a plan that goes in con- that runs parallel to the plan that you have for yourself as a basketball player. I know some of you think you're going to be in the NBA. Some of you think you'll play in college. The majority of you, your basketball career is going to end when high school ends. So let's figure out a path, a direction that you can go now that you can learn to utilize what you have. If you're a high school basketball player, you may not think that you have a lot of influence or um, you can get to people, but you can contact any teacher in school. You can contact any administrator. You can ask your principal to ask for help. I want to go into architecture. Can you put me in touch with some architects that I can get um, some conversations with or I can get an internship with? Just helping these basketball players, primarily right now from the south and west sides of Chicago, exposure to these concepts because basketball players are in these communities are looked up to be as leaders. People look to them as leaders. And so I want to give them a small piece of me and what I know that can equip them to be even better leaders and possibly come back and pull some other people with them. Stephen, why is this important to you? Beyond, uh, beyond the game. Beyond the game, uh, because I'm a proud black man. And when uh, I want to see my people thrive and my people aren't thriving and I'm not pointing the finger at anybody, I'm just turning uh, to the ones that are younger than me um, that hopefully will listen and understand that I've got nothing but love and knowledge for them and pour into them what I think can help them in turn help our people. And that's always been uh, really important to me and my family. I, I think that's great, Stephen, and I agree with you 100% because you nailed something right on the head about sharpening your own saw. You, you, you're doing it from a basket with basketball players, and what I do at UIC with UIC Engage, I do with ordinary students. And mm. it, it's really Which that... Which is needed as well. Oh, yeah, and, and it's really mm-hmm. that same thing is because in a lot of the situation, the kids, have they have no hope which is a huge problem. They have no hope, and they don't understand that their true talents doesn't just lie in, in, in their neighborhoods or, or, or in their dilapidate, dilapidated schools, but it lies within them. And if they can understand that anything that they want, they can have depending on how hard that they put forth the effort, and their effort first starts with self. And if you can grow and build yourself from the inside out, then the rest will come along with you. And like you said, you get that self-confidence. Now, you don't have to be the basketball player, but I can go and talk to the, the teacher. And one of the things I always tell them, and, you, and you're right about this, they all think that they're going on to play professional sports in some shape, oh form, gosh. or fashion. Basketball players are the worst in mathematics oh. than any athletes I've ever seen. Yes. It, it is, it's terrible how many people think that they're going to play in the NBA. It's really, it's really sad. And, and I've gone in, and I'm sure you have, and I break down the whole, okay, you're coming in from middle school. Yep. Less of you are going to play when you get to your freshman year, even less your sophomore year, even less your junior year, even less your senior year, and even fewer are going to get to a Division One level in a high enough Division One level where you're actually going to get noticed and, mm-hmm. and seen. Because, you know, nothing against my, my buddies at the HBCUs. Not very many of you are going to the NBA, you know, unless, you just, right. unless you're just outstanding and standing out, especially when you're competing against guys coming over from Europe, trying to get uh, um, Europe and, and South America and all these other places. Not to mention the top, you know, we talked about the top echelon guys that are competing for these basketball scholarships. So you really need to start to focus on something else. And and one of the things that I tell the kids and that I'm trying to get this program underway is you talk about you want to be a basketball player. Do you understand how many jobs there are in the basketball world that you Mm. can do that still keeps you in and a part of the game? Right. And then these kids sitting there, and I'm telling you, they stand there and they look at you like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you know, you could be a trainer. You could be a coach. You could mm-hmm. be an athletic director. You, I mean, there's just so many things that you can do that still well, – Like Eric you. said, you can, you can start your own blog. Yes. Or I mean, a reporter, yeah. an analyst, yes. Yeah. I mean, with Facebook Live, with what we're doing, Skype, with 
relationships. I mean, you know, there's a lot there's a lot of opportunity out there. And I think that's what a lot of them don't get and don't understand. That's why I believe what you're doing is an amazing tool uh, to be able to to help, you know, they, they, you know, starting with the basketball players, but also being able to branch that out and just help, you know, the every average day uh, student. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I love what you're doing, big fella. Thank you. I, I got to get you. I'm going to put a plug in for the Wood Family Foundation. Carrie Woods, uh, Carrie and Sarah Wood from the Cubs um, has the, a program that I work with in the in Lawndale where they do a mentorship program the entire school year for these kids. So we're going to have to get you guys to come out and talk to these kids. Oh, please. Oh, it's exactly exactly what we see there is the hope. You know, they just think that they don't have an opportunity to go do anything. And to be able to see people come in and content, can constantly tell them, yes, there is. Yes, you can do something. These are your skills. These are your talents. Let's figure out a way to develop them. Yeah. Because the teachers, when they've got 35 kids in that classroom, it's an impossible job for them to do. But to be able to pull them in a small setting, as is, is I'm sure you guys both know in your jobs and what you do is, is huge for them. I mean, because I sit back and I look at it. I mean, I grew up in the village. And if it wasn't for... You know, and, and for those that don't know, the village is on the west side of Chicago, which is one of the well, one of the worst areas, you know, in in the city. And if it wasn't for my grandmother and my mother constantly telling us that we could be more than where we live, I mean, we would have been those same kids because so many of my friends and my neighbors never thought that they were getting off of the block. And so that's where they're that's where they stayed. Now, you know, I, I hit the genetic lottery, you know, because there's no one in my family that's my size. You know, my great great grandfather was six, eight. So <laughs> this is a recessive gene that has continued and hit me. But the tallest person in my family other than me is six, two, you know, mm. and that puts you right in that mix with everyone else. But at the same time, I also understood that, you know what? This is what I can do with my brain. And, and you know Dr. Anderson. I'm sure both of you do. He's now the dean at, at hey, Yale. Yeah. Dr. Anderson, to this day, when I see him, he says, well, you know, there's still, it's still not too late for you to go to law school. Because I never thought I was, you know, I never, even when I was doing what I was doing in Illinois, didn't really think I was good enough to go on and play at the next level. So, shit, I was planning on going to law school <laughs> afterwards. And, and I think that's what... And Steve, you you probably can agree with this. I think that's what a lot of these kids are missing. They don't understand that they need a a plan A, and basketball is your plan B. Sure, and it's you know that comes with exposure, Dion. And you know, unfortunately, the the population of kids that we're really talking about, um, you know, the, the they have a much higher level of single family homes, uh, challenged socioeconomic backgrounds. That's why Carrie and his, Sarah, is that yes, Carrie and wife, Sarah yeah. would? I mean, that's why they're doing the, the great work that they're doing because they understand this dilemma. And um, so it, the thing is, when you raise the level of expectation of young people, they typically meet, meet or exceed that. Yes. And so you have to pour into them that you expect more of them, that they can do more. Um, and some of that is a thirst uh, for basketball players especially, is a thirst for the history of the game. And then hopefully when they get to read about the Harlem Wrens, the, the old Celtics, oh, not, yeah. the, not the Koozie Celtics, but the old Celtics that were back in the days of the Harlem Wrens and the Globetrotters, and they would battle each other. And it was, it was tremendous stuff, man. And it's, it's great history. And if we can get them to get into the basketball history – hopefully then they can get into their own history and history of whatever career path they want to go to or whatever and start to really spark that level of learning because, unfortunately, our public schools don't seem to be able to do that currently. Stephen, how do people find out more about Point Guard Vision and what you're doing? You can go to pointguardvision.com or you can go to stephenbardo.com and I have an explanation of both at, at both sites. The StephenBartle.com is built out a little bit more. The uh, On Point Leadership nonprofit is fairly new. Uh, we did a basketball clinic in uh, Accra, Ghana, over the summer that was unbelievable. Um, you know, those uh, players over there were so happy. We gave them a – I have a book that I've, I wrote for high schoolers, uh, How to Make the League Without Picking Up the Rock. Uh, gave them a copy of that, and I gave them a copy of a T-shirt for these Bartles Breakdown T-shirts that I – created years back and you thought it was Christmas 
they were so happy. They, they were so eager to learn and they're very skilled in, in Ghana in particular. So it was, it was, that was the first event. Um, this Saturday starts the second event. It's four consecutive Saturdays at uh, South Shore High School. As you can see, I have my windows open. At South Shore <laughs> High School with their uh, basketball program for this, uh, this Point Guard Vision leadership program. Okay, now I'm I'm uh, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll let you get to your question, but now I'm gonna jump on your back. Why I ain't got an invitation to be at these events, man? <laughs> uh, you know, it's passports I, I, in I, order. No, here, here's the thing, man. I'm a lot like my dad, and before I knew exactly what my dad was doing, I was like 39, 40 years old. He had, he had been published seven <laughs> times. He was the he was the commissioner of the basically what is the Missouri Valley Conference Football League right mm-hmm. now. He was the commissioner of that for like five years. He was he was on the board of NCAA uh, committees. Mark Hollis, who may be the one of the most popular ADs at Michigan State in the country, reveres my father, loves him to death. And I didn't know none of this because he didn't say nothing. He just kind of works behind the scenes. And uh, I know that I seem like a guy that's out front because I'm on television, but that kind of stuff, I like to build behind the scenes so by the time people see it, it's already established. I, I understand. So that has nothing to do with why I haven't gotten my invitation to come out and help you build what it is you're trying to build. You're right. You're right. It's I coming. Apologize. It's coming. I apologize. Well, Stephen, you're right. And you're big on, on social media, too. How can folks interact with you on some of the, the things that you do there? Uh, you can go to Twitter, uh, at Stephen Bardo. Uh, LinkedIn, I believe, is uh, – yeah, that's at Stephen Bardo as well. And Facebook is uh, – I have Point Guard Vision – and I have my own Stephen D. Bardo, where I do a lot of Facebook Live stuff. And uh, uh, due to this new technology called Live Leap, I'm going to, whenever I do a Facebook Live now, I, I'll end up being on about three different continents with different Facebook pages in, in different continents. And whenever I go Facebook Live, it'll pop up. So exciting technology going on right now. And that's uh, probably where I have the most traffic going on right now is on Facebook with that Stephen D. Bardo site. Well, the content and the insight is, is fantastic. That's great. Thank you very much. What do you guys want to talk about Illinois-wise? What, what, how's the relationship with the new coaching staff down there? And, and, and you know what? I want to ask you this. As a guy that does journalism, too, and I don't have to deal with it because I do a lot of high school stuff, but you've know, you got to walk a fine line. You're an Illini alum. You work for the Big Ten Network. How how are you able to stay neutral in your in, in how you do some of the things, or or maybe step back and forth from being an alum to being a journalist and having an obviously having an opinion on a lot of different things? Well, the the, the colors of the University of Illinois are orange and blue. Uh, the colors of the Big Ten Network appear to be uh, blue, but they're green to me, and so <laughs> I, I'm a professional, and you know I, I can critique my children. If my kids are out there playing, I'm a pretty shrewd um, analyst of talent. I, I really am. I don't I don't know where I got that. I've developed that over the years, and it's really benefited me well because every time I do an Illinois game, I think that's why I haven't had – well, that's not why I haven't had a lot in, uh, in a while. We know I haven't had a lot. Yeah. But whenever I do a game, Illinois fans get upset because they, they're like, you act like you didn't go to Illinois. And I'm like, well, on that broadcast, I don't. Right. I'm a big and fan. People don't understand that. You have to. You, you know? have to do that. And so I, you know, I, I, it used to bother me when I did games, but then I thought, man, that means I'm doing my job. So, um, you know, I, I love Illinois. Always will. Everybody at the network knows Howard Griffith and I and Dion run around there trying to hold up Illinois, like all the other uh, uh, people that work there that went to Big Ten schools. There's a lot of Big Ten pride there, yes. and it's fun. It's, not, it's not, nothing negative. It's just all fun. So we love our school, but we like that job as well. So, yeah. it, it, you know, that job provides a platform and different things for us. And I hope that Illinois fans understand that. If they don't, that's okay, too. Well, it, it's called truth is what it is. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're watching someone, and, and I made a comment last year uh, about Illinois' defense, and I said it was god-awful. Yeah, I, I got I got a little bit of a pushback <laughs> on, on Twitter about that. But like I told when I responded to them on, online, I was like, I'm just telling the truth. My, my job is to be an analyst of what's going on with this game. 
And I was like, and, and if you disagree with how they played defense at that time, or with me about how they played defense at that time, then no problem. Voice your opinion. The very next thing the guy wrote back was, you're right. You're telling the truth. <laughs> yeah. And and that's what it's about. And that's one of the things, you know, when I talk to Steve and I talk to, Q, you know, Q is one of the producers there. And when I talk to other people that are in the business, they say, Dion, <coughs> be yourself, be honest, but don't make it personal. And, and that's what I try to do is to not make it personal. And I'm like, Steve, this is this is our job, you know, and in this job. You at at times, and, and it's difficult. I mean, that first my first year last year, I had a hard time not saying we when I was mm. talking about Illinois, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you know, so I, I'm still connected. But at the same time, I have to be truthful and honest when when we're sitting, uh, you know, you're sitting and you're looking at this camera because if not, the people will know that you're not being truthful and honest, and then they don't want to listen to you anyway. So you know, Steve will be on. He'll tell you, and I, I can tell you this. Your credibility is important, especially in this business. Well, not in just this business, but in life. So if you soil your credibility by not, you know, being honest, and you know, you're a journalist, then people turn you off. They stop listening to you. They stop believing you. It becomes fake news. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, I'll give give you a good example of a guy that's risen quickly um, that what Dion is talking about. And he, uh, um, John Crispin with Big Ten Network, who's risen very quickly. And I think one of the reasons of his success, because he's good, first of all, uh, and he's got a knowledgeable background, he's got experience playing the game. Mm -hmm. But what he does very well, in my opinion, is that he takes a stand. And he doesn't mind jumping out there and saying certain things. Whereas for me, I'm not as good at taking a stand in the way that he does. And I applaud him for that. And I give him credit for that. I think that I have other areas that I'm uh, stronger in, not necessarily compared to him, but just I'm stronger in than really making a stand in that way. But I applaud him for that that way. And I think that that's really led to uh, the increase of his popularity. I mean, it's about the truth. And it's mm-hmm. about being honest and it's about breaking down things the way you actually see them, because that's your job sometimes illinois fans aren't a fan of the truth though <laughs> uh, no, no i don't say fan. no fan That's a good point. no good fan enough. wants to hear no the negative all of them get on you if you say something that it gets them the wrong way every yeah. time i do a game at iowa they either love me or they hate me <laughs> and i got nine iowa games this year so you know there it is <laughs> well, and, you know, but the great thing about it is even when they hate you, they're hitting up your Twitter. <laughs> you <laughs> know, <true>. they're <laughs> reaching true. out. Who was that said? Uh, I can't remember who was that. They said no, no press. No uh, bad press is always good press or, or all, all press some, is good. All press is all good press. press. There you go. Press. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. What else you guys want to uh-huh. talk about? Well, we're at the hour mark. We here. are at the hour mark. So, <laughs> I, I mean, we can we can let Steve go. and Hopefully we can get you back for part two. As oh, as, sure. the, as the season goes on, I mean, of course, sure. both of our be uh, both of us will be out there on the trail, but it'd be good to to get in there, especially after the beginning of the season. We can talk and see how these freshmen are going to be because I, I like what Illinois has done. I like the freshmen that they they brought in. I love the fact that Mark Smith uh, decided to stay home, uh, and hopefully that'll be the beginning of of a long line of guys staying home. And I'm sure I can't speak for Steve, but I think he and I are in, are in complete agreement on that one. Sure. No, that's, that's huge. And, uh, you know, it, how fast will they uh, gel to the Underwood system? I'm really anxious, uh, guys, to go down and watch them practice. I'm doing the rounds right now. Went to DePaul yesterday. Was supposed to go to uh, Northwestern tomorrow, but that's going to be next week. Going to be at Indiana. Um, there's another one to Iowa, I believe next week. So I'm getting to see the rounds and I'm really interested in seeing Illinois because it, it doesn't appear like we, we, I can we don't have a lot of size, right. but I think that Underwood's style of play, if you notice that Stephen F. Austin, he didn't have a lot of size in that situation either, but turned it into one of the better programs in the nation. So um, we'll see what happens. Tajon Lucas and Kipper Nichols, to me, will be X factors uh, for the season coming up. Uh, my, my X factor, since we talk, is, is going to be Finky. 
I okay. think what he does at that five position, because he's going to have to play the five, yeah. will, and especially in Underwood's system, because they like to get out. They like to stretch you out. He likes to have his, his fives play on the perimeter, like you said, when he doesn't have size. I think how well he plays, and of course, that point guard position, Steve, being a point guard yourself, you know is, is tremendously important. I think how those two play together is going to be important. And Kipper is definitely um, on the high track. I love that kid. I love what he brings to the table. And, again, if he gels in Underwood's system, I agree with you. Uh, those three guys are going, to be, are going to be paramount to how well we do this year. I kind of want to bring some things full circle. One, uh, you know, we were talking about the NCAA thing at the top, and uh, I'll recommend a book here. And I know, Dion, you've got it right now, too. Steven, I don't know if you've read uh, George Dorman's book, Play Their Hearts Out. It's a fantastic no. kind of in-depth thing about getting into the AAU situation and, and kind of how we've gotten to the shoe company situation. And it's Play Their Heart Out? Play Their Hearts Out by George okay. Dorman, D-O-H-R-M-A-N-N. He's a former Sports Illustrated writer. It's amazing uh, report. Well, that's actually. why I remember recognizing I actually just whipped it out. I just started reading it. It is an amazing, uh, and probably no surprises to you guys, but it, it's it's a little heartbreaking in a lot of ways too. So, oh, yeah. All right, and on that note, boy, we'll bring it back up here. Thanks for posting up with us, and thanks to Chris Hartwig and Painless Networking for the Airwaves. For Deion Thomas and Stephen Bardo, I'm Eric Schmidt. Thanks for listening to The Fadeaway. Swish.